Thanks for joining us today for the Post Traumatic Faith Podcast, a place where trauma, hardship, and challenge meet faith and hope for the future. Here is your host, Jill Riley. Welcome to Post Traumatic Faith. Season three has arrived. I am so excited to share with you this season new guests, new topics, and some great conversations. So tune in every week on Fridays. We will have a new episode. Also, this season, we will celebrate our 100th episode. So stay tuned for that. Just happens to fall on my birthday, October 28th. So we will have a big celebration. Thank you so much for joining us. And here's today's guest. Welcome to Post Traumatic Faith. This is Jill Riley, and we are in season three, and I'm excited to have you with us today. Today, we are welcoming Jennifer Smurz. Jennifer, hi, how are you? I'm doing great. Thank you, Jill. How are you? Oh, doing pretty good. Doing pretty good. Can't complain. So what is life like in Ontario, Canada today? You know what? It is actually stunning. The sky is blue and the temperature. I know everyone goes different uh, Fahrenheit or uh, Celsius, but we are we're almost uh, 75 degrees today. So it's supposed to get warmer as the week goes. So I cannot complain. So spring is on the way. Finally, yes, we had a a slow start to it for sure, but uh, it is on the way. Same here, same here. So we were just talking, I know this is going to air quite a bit later, but you had, we had Mother's Day and this weekend. So did your family treat you well? They did treat me well. And the, the, the biggest gift, although I love being with my family, is I, I was able to get away with a, for a girl's weekend uh, from Friday to Sunday morning. And then uh, we had a nice dinner together um, after hockey tryouts. So all Isn't in it's... all, a great weekend. Isn't it so fun, some of those long-term relationships and just to watch each other grow and change and, and it's so interesting. It, it, you know what, and we were all going back and forth and you know, thanking the friend that hosted it, it just fills your bucket and we are all so different. Um, and you know, some of us have older kids, some of us are have younger kids, but when you come together just reuniting supporting one another, you know, making new memories, but remembering the old, it, it honestly, I, I feel very, very blessed. Yeah. I think those are just life-giving relationships. I have some of those myself and just had a girl's weekend in Seattle and we, and we did that. And it was just so important to be able to talk about deep things and talk about nothing all at the same time. You know what? That's exactly it. And uh, a few of them use the term fill the bucket. And and that's what it did. I mean, just in a non-judgmental, you know, you have each other's back. And yet day to day, I mean, we're all so busy. So, you know, you don't see each other like you used to in university when all there was a lot less stress going on. Um, But yeah, I, we feel, I feel very, very fortunate. And the fact that we got eight together was, uh, was a blessing. That's wonderful. So were you raised in Ontario? I, yes, I've always been in Ontario. Okay. And Ontario is, um, give me like a geographical marker. What, what is it above in the United States? Buffalo. Buffalo is would it? be, yeah. Okay. Buffalo, Niagara Falls are, that, that would be the, the closest okay. area. That's about an hour and a half. Um, what, yeah, Northwest from me. Okay. Very good. And so what was uh, life like for you growing up? 
You know what? I grew up with two older brothers and they were in competitive hockey. So I was one of those young rink racked, you know, uh, <laughs> sisters who would come with her pom poms and the other sisters would support. Uh, my mom was a stay at home mom. So I had, I was very fortunate to, to have her always sort of, you know, in our volunteering at the school and involved in all of our sports. And we were very fortunate to have a family cottage. So um, I know a lot of people, depending on where we live in the, the US, there's a lot of lake houses, we call them cottages. And it's up north on a lake. And I was very lucky to be up there every summer with my, you know, my mom and uh, brothers, my dad would take his holidays and then come up on weekends. So I, I lived in sort of a little bubble, I have to say, when you, you hear of all sorts of things that people have been through, um, I was I was very fortunate. Did your brother say you were spoiled since you were the youngest and the only girl? You know what? I definitely got some attention being the only girl. Yes. Um, but they, <laughs> I, I am a tomboy as well. So I, I feel I fit in and <laughs> fit in with the rugged uh, style that they, uh, they certainly put me in, in the hockey net and, and, and so forth. So they, they made me pretty strong <laughs> and competitive. <laughs> put you in the net. <laughs> That's funny. So can you tell us a little bit about your cancer journey? You've been through quite a cancer journey since you were 43. Yes. And you know what? I actually just left the hospital today because um, I'm, I'm in ongoing, not chemo, but IV treatment. So I was diagnosed. It's going to be coming up. I can't believe it, but it's going to be coming up to three years. So it was May 2019 and um, I was stage one. I was 43 at the time. And I mean, for what should have been, e you know, easy peasy, cancer is never easy, but it, it, it was small. I was healthy. Otherwise, needless to say, I have since had five surgeries, um, three tumors, 18 months of active treatment. And, and now because of just my, my low bone density and, and aches and pains, I, I do go every six months for IV treatment to, to hopefully strengthen that so that I uh, continue to you know, can continue to live an active and healthy lifestyle. But uh, yeah, so what we thought again was going to be, you know, have a lumpectomy and, and see what the treatments or pathology reports come back. It was, uh, it, it was not the, the journey that I, that we had first thought it would be, but I am cancer free. And uh, I, I like to say thriving because I've, I've lived, you know, I've learned a lot and um, I certainly appreciate life a lot more. Yeah, I'm sure. So what um, happened in, I mean, if they classified it as stage one, but then it continued to progress with tumors and needing other surgeries and everything, did they recla reclass it along the way or did was you it know just what? missed? They, they didn't reclass it. Um, the first lumpectomy, when they got the pathology report back, it just showed that there was another tumor deeper, deeper in the chest cavity, which they didn't see in any of the scans. Um, so I don't necessarily think that that changed the grading, although I, it was, uh, it had spread into my lymph nodes as well. Um, and then because of those two factors, my chemo and radiation treatments were a little more intense than what they initially had anticipated, where things are still kind of unexplained. I um, was diagnosed with the third tumor and I was still in active treatment. And that's where they, the treatment that I was, the Herceptin, which was every three weeks, was supposed to kill off any future cancerous cells because it, it is common to come, you know, to come back within the first 18 months. 
So to be diagnosed with it while on this treatment, the, the doctors couldn't explain that. So that's why I advocate, advocated for a double mastectomy. Everything was on my left side, but I, I just couldn't go through this, you know, I, it felt, felt like a, you know, a routine a year ago, the May, that this was April. So I, I just wanted to rule out that. Right. And because it was unexplained, Jill, they had strongly suggested that I have a full hysterectomy because with the type of breast cancer I had, that's a common area that it could go. It could go into the bones, the lung, and into the, the female um, reproductive organs. So Three months after when I was recovered from the double mastectomy, I had my full hysterectomy, which was the fourth surgery. So, wow. Again, not, not really expected. And at that point I was 44. So it was overnight menopause, <laughs> which <laughs> has not been fun, but uh, again, you, you count your blessings and realize there's a lot worse that could have right. gone wrong. So as a woman, do you feel like, um, taking out your reproductive organs and um, having a double mastectomy, has that affected how you view yourself or was that a, um, was that a hard hit or was that just kind of like a necessary, this is what we need to do to survive? Great question. So for the, the double mastectomy to the, to me, that was a survivor thing. Um, hearing about it and I sadly was told um just in a regular I was going for my treatment I had my follow-up appointment with my oncologist so I prior to when I was supposed to meet with my surgeon to get the news and I think I caught my oncologist off guard when I said hey you know did you hear I almost fainted in the mammogram machine and have you gotten my results from the the biopsy I don't think he was ready for that so when I was told I was by myself and then had to sit through treatment by myself. Um, so I mentally had prepared, I'm pushing for the double um, mastectomy prior to even talking to my husband. So that one was, I mean, not ideal, but I, again, with what I had been through, that was now going to be the third surgery on my, on my chest. Let's just move, you know, move on from this. The emotional um, one for me was the hysterectomy. And I mean, I've got two you know, healthy, incredible boys. It's not that we were planning on having another one at 44, but it was, it was very emotional. And I, I struggled with my mood after that. And you know, as you talk to different girlfriends, as we started to discuss with these girls weekends, it, the doctors really didn't explain the emotional and the hormonal piece mm -hmm. as much. Um, but friends were like, oh yeah, you know, it's not unusual that you're feeling these emotions that you are. Um, but I think from the, you know, the surgical point of view, the doctors were, this is just what needs to be done. And yep, it will, we'll get it done. You've recovered from all the other surgeries. You'll be fine. The emotional piece isn't necessarily something that's talked about. And it, um, yeah, from again, just feeling that, all my women parts were, were now, were now eliminated. My hair was still, you know, slowly growing in, it grew in gray. Um, so there was a lot of, yeah, you just didn't feel, I, I didn't feel feminine and, and, uh, and beautiful. Yeah. So I think all of those emotions through, throughout the chemo, the radiation, and certainly these, those last two surgeries, it took a toll overall. Yeah. You know, I, I think there is a challenge in finding, we rely on our, on our looks and our self and our, you know, all of, you know, your female, femaleness and, or maleness, whatever, um, 
when those are taken away, then, you know, then you're just like, well, what really does make me beautiful? What, what really does make me lovely? And, um, and you have to reappropriate that then. Exactly. And I mean, you know, I'm not one to wear a lot of makeup and I, you know, try to look beyond just what we look like, you know, and especially going through this, you almost had to, but yeah, losing your eyebrows, losing your eyelashes, um, you, you definitely, I mean, at least you could wear wigs. I had baseball caps with cute blonde hair for a while, but yeah, you don't feel feminine. And it, it was kind of reinventing the confidence in myself that I'm, I'm still me right? and um, accepting this, this new look that was, was my reality. Um, absolutely. And again, when, that in itself, I think made me grow, right? Yeah, you, Absolutely. When your hair started to fall out, was that, um, was that shocking for you or were you prepared for that? You know what? I, um, I don't think you're ever fully prepared to be honest with you. I mean, I, I, and I had different, my friends were so supportive. They're like, Oh, you're going to look so cute with a little pixie cut. My hair was not amazing before. So it wasn't that I had this luscious gorgeous thick hair but losing your hair is is traumatic it really is and um I was fortunate to have actually the two university friends that I just went away with they came with me um as well as my mom the wig shop where I bought my wig uh also she's a hairdresser so we didn't style it obviously but she did cut it very short so that I didn't have to go through clumps of hair coming out which I think would have been harder and I I mean everyone obviously reacts to this um differently but I the people that I'd been in contact and sort of following their journey that's what they had done they either shaved it themselves or got it cut short because I think for me the most emotional would be seeing chunks of hair coming out where at least when it was short and then continued to thin it it wasn't as yeah, it wasn't as dramatic. And it, um, yeah, I wouldn't, again, not saying it was easy, but just going through that, cutting it short made sense for me and having my friends and mom there for me um, at the appointment, we were able to sort of joke at it as opposed to. That's good. That's good. Yeah. You know, when my daughter's hair um, started to fall out from chemo, um, I wasn't, I thought I was prepared for it, but I wasn't, I wasn't prepared for, like you said, the clumps of hair and um, it's just kind of shocking. And then just, it was just amazing. Now, the the amazing thing is, is she was two and a half. And so, you know, we're not doing wigs or, you know, we did a lot of hats and different things. She had the most perfectly shaped little bald head ever. And my husband, my husband shaved his head with hers and he had like craters in his head. It was like, you shouldn't do that. That's not cute. (laughs) Well, I'm glad your daughter had a perfect head and I I'm just so thrilled to hear that she is doing well too. She is doing well. She is, she is. So now you um, have kind of taken what you learned and, or are learning and you're helping others with coping strategies. Can you give me an example of what that means? Yeah, so I, um, I, I mean, I have struggled with anxiety in the past, and that was prior to, to to my diagnosis. So I've taken different courses, I've I have gone to counseling and, you know, read and so forth. So there's all obviously all different methods that, you know, sometimes work better than others, or sometimes work for, for people and um, better than others. 
for me, some of the coping strategies that have worked is, is getting out in nature. So if I can get outside, um, that has always helped and just try, I mean, the word mindful is, you know, a catchphrase, but for, for me, what that means is just being aware, aware of your surroundings. What are you looking at? What are the colors? What do you hear? Uh, maybe even, you know, what do you smell? What's, and this can be outdoor in nature or inside. And when you bring your awareness to the senses, it doesn't eliminate the, the stress and the worries and waiting for, you know, the doctor's calls, but it does bring you into that present moment. And even if it's for a moment, you're relieved of the worry and the stress that you might be dealing yeah. with. So that is something that I will continue to do. Um, uh, another practice is, is just deep belly breath and we breathe all the time but often you know we ha have short and and um short um breaths as opposed to fully taking the breath in nice and slow and letting it go we we tend to be shallow oftentimes especially when right. we're anxious or you know dealing with a stressful situation so i each morning before i get out of bed i do take five deep belly breaths and I, I, I swear that it has made a difference in all aspects of my life. It just, it starts my day on a, on a positive, more calming note. Um, but I use it when, you know, if I'm in, a, in the waiting, you know, um, waiting room or if I'm in traffic and I'm starting to feel flustered or late for something or my kids come home with news that I'm not thrilled about, that it's a, a practice that really can be used at any time. Right. And again, it's, it's, it's connecting with that vagus nerve and just bringing you in to that present moment calming state. Um, so that has been helpful. Distraction. So for me, I'm a worrier and I just, and, and it compounds and then I don't sleep. So trying to find activities and I can appreciate it, you know, that is easier said than done, but I, I did puzzles. Um, it might be a word search. It might be listening to a podcast, whatever sort of brings you joy um, and gets you out of your mind and can distract you. And again, it, it, it's not that it's taking everything away, but it's these little tools that may help you when you're in a, a state that you need it. Yeah, that's wonderful. It's, um, does, is there a certain um, sense of, uh, let me see, gratitude or uh, just feeling like you're able to pass on what you've learned to other people? Do you feel gratitude for your journey then? I 100% do. And I, I, I mean, I know um, some people say, how could you share what you've been through and then the anxiety and then the low moods? If I can help just one person, I mean, I'd love to help everyone. But if one person realizes that they're not alone, that they will, you know, they will regain their strength and confidence, um, that what they're feeling is many people are experiencing um and it's not that i didn't get that reassurance when i was going through those times but it uh, not everyone understands and i think it, yeah if i i just to me being able to help people having people now reach out to me because they know i've been through it and um, ask for advice or just you know checking in on them it is such a rewarding feeling for me and i just wish i could help more people yeah. What role does diet play in, 
in everything that you are offering as far as wellness. Um, we know diet makes makes an impact, but especially when you're dealing with things like cancer, where your your appetite is low, and you know, how do you encourage people with their diet then? Yes, so I personally feel diet is paramount. I, you know, 80 to 90% of, of, you know, whether it's weight issues or inflammation or, you know, is to me what we actually eat. Moving the body, very, very key, but it does, it, it you know, if you're moving the body daily, yet you're fueling it poorly, uh, there, there's a mismatch. I know going through chemo and even radiation and, and treatments in general, um, you know, sometimes it comes down to survivor, for, excuse me, survival, and just put, you know, putting in the body whatever whatever you can keep down. Um, but if you can nourish it with whole grains, with as much fruits and vegetables as you can, with um, you know, clean, the cleaner your diet can be whether you're going through cancer, whether you're going through depression, um, it, it is, it's just really, really key that you are nourishing your body, that you're getting enough sleep, that you're getting enough water. It plays a huge role in our system in flushing things out in our energy level. Um, so I, I feel it is very, very key in, in any, anything that we're going through. So if somebody comes to you and says, I need a wellness coach, what is kind of your first, your first steps with, with a new, new client? I think it's understanding first where they're at, you know, learning a little bit about their routines. Um, a lot of people are emotional eaters. A lot of people are dealing with different health ailments or the sandwich generation, just getting a feel for, for where they're at. Um, where their struggles are and, you know, their gaps. And then from there, I, I feel a lot of things comes from the mindset. So when you're talking with individuals, um, you know, yes, we could all write out what you, sh you know, should, and should is not a word I like to use at all, right. but things that are, are great to be eating. But, you know, what, when, when people are eating, are they, what, what are their thoughts What's the emotional piece behind things? Again, oftentimes people feel that they need sugar at the end of every meal or they have cravings when really if we're mindful and asking ourselves more questions and the reactions of how our body, you know, when we eat something or when we think that we're going to eat, you know, a piece of cake and we think it's going to be delicious, are you getting that gratification when you do eat it? And more so an hour later, how are you feeling? So it's a lot more about the mindset piece of it, mm -hmm. um, lifestyle and understanding and talking about the self-care and how people are handling their stress. Because I think in general, um, people are you know, focused on moving their body and the, and the diet, which is like two huge components. But if we're not getting enough sleep, if we're not managing our stress, if we're not, you know, all these, if we don't have good uh, positive self-talk, this all plays a big role as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, sorry for that crash behind me. Some things fell off my wall just while we were talking. So apparently whatever you're saying is earth shattering. Oh, there we go. I love it. <laughs> so what is next for you in your own wellness and recovery journey, do you think? You know what? I... 
I'm just taking it in strides right now. I have been so fortunate, like when you and I connected and you asked me to be on the podcast, I, any way that I can educate and support and help individuals is, is where I see myself as to what exactly that looks like. I, I don't know. Um, I do, you know, any opportunity to be a guest speaker and educate people on the toxins in our home and using safer, cleaner household products, I think is a component that I was missing prior to my diagnosis. And as I delve into that deeper, it's a huge piece that I think Mm -hmm. many people don't realize. And there's a number of health ailments that are connected to the toxins that are in these products. So I, I feel that that's an area that as we, you know, move and we, we, we hope to move into a healthier, um, holistic lifestyle, but if you're not using all of these components, um, so I think it's just finding, finding an area where I can share what I've learned and my story, um, and, and help others is, is where I, is where I'm striving to. It's just how to get there is, uh, is a little unknown. Well, that is awesome. Well, you are so, uh, so well-spoken and um, just have such, such beauty in what you have to say. And I appreciate it. How can people find more about you and, or get in contact with you if they want to? Absolutely. So I LinkedIn is probably the best place because that has my, my email, uh, my phone number and my website. And from there, if, if anyone did just want to, you know, yeah do a free consultation so I can find out a little bit about what they, you know, where they're at and what they are, are dealing with. Um, I have my Calendly link within my LinkedIn um, profile. So that certainly would be a way to reach me in a variety of different manners. Wonderful. Well, Jennifer, I just have enjoyed our conversation very much. And I, um, I wish you all the best. You are beautiful and um, just a joy to talk to. So thank you so much for your investment of time in us. Oh, Jill, thank you. And thank you for saying that. Because as we've said, it's, it's, it's tough to feel beautiful at at times when you've gone through something like this. And to hear, um, to hear that it, it certainly brightens my day. So I appreciate that. And thank you for the opportunity. If you enjoyed this episode, we would love it if you would leave a review on your favorite podcast platform. You can find Jill at JillRiley.com, on Facebook at JillRiley.author, Twitter at JillRileyAuthor, and Instagram at JillRiley.author. Also, feel free to send Jill an email at Jill at JillRiley.org. Thanks for listening in and have a great day.